Well, good morning. Man, let me tell you what. I, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love coming to church and worshiping with you guys. Isn't it just awesome that we all get to come together and just worship? I mean, come on, somebody. If you couldn't enter in and worship, man, when we were worshiping, let me tell you what, uh, uh, as, as the old timers used to say, your wood ain't wet. And uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds spiritual. So, uh, <clears throat> man, let me tell you something. I, it, it's just a special, special thing, a special thing. We always need to count it a privilege and an honor to come together and to gather because, you know, there's some people uh, that would be gathering together today in not quite as nice conditions as you and I get to gather together. You know that? A lot of people are in fear for their lives to do what we do. A lot of people are, are absolutely scared that they're going to be sentenced to death or that their loved ones are going to be put in jail or tortured because we're doing this right here. I want us to just think about that for a minute and count an honor and a privilege when we get to come together and we get to worship the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And we should always come together expecting great things from God. Amen? Amen. Don't ever walk through the doors of this place not expecting great things from God. Because let me tell you something. The Bible says that when two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst of them. Let me tell you something. When we gather, special things are happening. We need to always remember that, to be expecting when we gather together great things from God. So are you expecting this morning? Like three people are expecting. I don't know. <laughs> let, me, let me try this again. We need to be expecting great things from God. How many of you are expecting this morning? There you go. <laughs> God, we thank you for this day. We count it an honor and a privilege to gather. And we just thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you it's forever settled in heaven and it's forever settled in our hearts. Now help us today as we just dive into this truth. Help us to grab a hold of what you want us to see, what you want us to hear, and what we need to take away and apply to our lives, Father. Just help soften our hearts. Let our attention be fixed on your word today and your Holy Spirit as you speak to us and guide us, lead us into all truth. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Well, we're kicking off our new series this morning, and we're calling it Story. And this morning, I'm going to tell you the story. And you saw there in the video before, uh, you know, before we came out that uh, uh, the story of creation. And the thing that, you know, just stands out to me is that a lot of stories start out this way, <laughs> is that God made all of these wonderful things, and he said, man, these things are good. He said, everything is good. Everything is is perfect. Everything is just the way that I want it to be. This is my heart for mankind. This is my heart displayed for them to see. This is my love displayed. Everything that God made was good. Matter of fact, he even took a whole day just to sit back and rest because he thought it was so good. You ever made something and you just sat back and go, you know what, that was good. And you keep walking back by it. Man, let me tell you. I built this uh, little rock wall on the little island in my kitchen. I put up a little stone thing around it. And I'm not the handiest of the handy. I know that's difficult for maybe some of you to believe. But I was really proud. I got on YouTube, and they told me how to do it. And I followed all the instructions, and it turned out really well. You know what? They, I have little stools that are supposed to go underneath it. I left the stools out for a few days. Just because every day I walked past it, I just looked at that. And I said, man, that was good. And that's kind of how God was doing. He just took a whole day just to sit back and go, you know what, that was really good. I think it's so good. Matter of fact, in God's rest and in God's sitting back and saying this is all good, 
what God was actually doing is what you and I don't even think about is that he established for us something we casually know as a week. He was establishing how many days are supposed to be in a week. And now we take those things for granted. We don't think, man, God actually used rest to establish a week and to sit back and say everything that I did over the past six days, this was good. Genesis 1 and 31, the Bible says this. The Bible says, God saw everything he had made and indeed it was good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 2 and we'll keep on reading. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because he had rested from all his work which God created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field was grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Somebody say life. And man became a living being, or some of your Bibles may say a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I want you to remember those words. If you're, you can underline and write in your Bible, I want you to underline the, that right there. Pleasant to sight and good for food. Because I want you to remember this. I want you to write this down. That when God created this perfect paradise, what he created was everything that we would ever want Everything that we would ever need, it was going to be pleasant to our eyes and it was going to taste really good. It was going to be everything that would satisfy the cravings that he created us with. All of the things that we were supposed to desire, what things were supposed to taste like, smell like, the things that were supposed to attract us, he made all of those things. And because he created all those things, he said, listen, all these things are pleasant. All these things are good. All of these things are going to taste awesome. He made everything in absolute perfection. The Bible also says in verse 9 that there was the tree of life. It was in the midst of the garden. Somebody say life. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil was also in the midst of the garden. So here is man, and he's in the perfection of God's creation. And in the perfection of creation, there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no evil, there's no conflict, there's no uh, addiction, there's no depression, there's no anger, there's no bitterness, there's no unforgiveness, there's no jealousy, there's no wrath, there's no envy, there's no strife. Here we are in the middle of perfection, given everything we could ever want or need, and God says, this is good. And man, I'm going to put you in the middle of this garden, this place of perfection. And this place is for you. And it's going to supply all of your needs. All you have to do is just trust in me. You know, here in the Bible, we see that things were perfect. See how good things were when they start out. But we know that there was a conflict that arose. Something changed. And I want us to check this out in Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden, tended and keep it. And God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. 
But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. See what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up in its place. Then the rib which God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Somebody say amen. amen. Beautiful trees, naming animals. Running around naked with no shame. Perfection. Paradise. You see, trusting God was easy because there wasn't any conflict. It was easy to trust God. And God said, listen, I need you to trust that everything that I've made for you is what you need. And everything that I've made for you is perfect. And I want to do that by giving you a choice. Because I want you to trust me. I don't want you to be forced to serve me. I want you to choose me. And he said, I'm going to put a tree in the midst of the garden that's going to be the tree of choice. It's going to be the tree of self-rule. The tree that if you choose this, it's you telling me that you're more wise than me. That you know better than me what you need. And I'm going to give you that option if you so desire it. But my desire for you is that you eat of the tree of life because I've made it to be everything you should ever want or ever need, all wrapped up in this tree of life in the middle of this garden. And if you eat of it, you're going to live forever. All you've got to do is trust that I know what's best for you. But if you choose otherwise, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when you eat of that fruit, the Bible said you're surely going to die. But you know, trusting in God when everything's perfect, when everything's going lovely, isn't that easy? Man, I'm full of faith, trusting God whenever your bank account's full and your wife's kissing on you and your kids are saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. And they're bringing home straight A's. Man, let me tell you, when the boss is patting you on the back, when everything seems to be just going well, you're like, man, let me tell you, God is good all the time. Come on, say it with me. God is good. Oh, yeah, God is good all the time, all the time. Amen, somebody. But what about in the middle of conflict? Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to get those words out of your mouth and really mean them. Because you wonder, is God really good? Why am I dealing with this? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why am I dealing with sickness or disease or death or anger, depression, frustration? Things aren't going as well as they should. And I'm dealing with conflict. And I need to make a choice of where and who I'm going to trust because, folks, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but conflict is coming. For some of you, conflict is here. For some of you, conflict is right now, staring you in the face. For some of you, conflict was getting out of bed this morning and making the decision to come to church. For con- conflict, for some of you, was on the car ride to the church. Sit down. Buckle up. Be quiet. Don't, don't touch her. Don't even look at her. Don't look at him. He's on my side of the car. She's on my side. Where do you want to go eat after church? I don't know where we are. I don't know. We don't need to spend money on that. What did you do? And then we get to church. Praise the Lord. Well, hello. (laughs) Bless God. 
how are you, Dave and Kelly? It's good to see you today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and we walk in, and yet we're dealing with conflict. We're dealing with all this stuff. Well, here's Adam and Eve in the middle of the Garden of Eden, and they're about to deal with conflict. How you process conflict can change your position. You see, we're all going to face conflict, but the deal is, is that how are we going to process that conflict when it comes our way because conflict is coming. And like I said, for some of you, conflict's right here. It's all up in your personal space right now. Pastor, you're making me uncomfortable. You're getting on my cookie jar, getting in my business. Let me tell you something, folks. When your position changes, your condition changes. When your position changes, your condition changes because Adam and Eve's condition was very, very good. The man and the woman that God had created, they were in everything that God had declared was perfection and good and everything was right. But when your position changes, your condition changes, their position was walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. Their position was walking in a place that was full of perfection, that was sinless, that was amazing, and all they had to do was trust in God. And they would continue to walk with that closeness, hand in hand with God, being able to trust Him. But conflict can change all of that. One event, one sour word, one thing happened at work, one thing happened at home can change my position. And if I allow that to rule and wreck my life, then my condition will change. And the next thing you know, man, I remember when they used to be so happy. Man, I remember they used to just always have a smile on their face. I remember they just used to be such strong Christians. It seemed like, you know, they just had this unshakable faith. And I just can't believe that I'm hearing a story like that about them. Or that that happened. Or, oh, did you see this? Oh, my goodness. And we're seeing people's positions and conditions change because of how they process conflict. It all has to do with how we process the conflict. Adam and his wife were in a great position, but here comes conflict. Keep on reading. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Immediately the serpent comes to challenge the word of God. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I want to teach you something today that's going to help you walk out of this place with more hope than you walked in here with. All right? That's my goal as your pastor today, is for you to leave with more hope than you walked in here with, that you're going to be more unshakable than when you walked in here in areas that you might have been shaky in, that you're going to walk out more confident and trusting in God than when you walked in this place, because it's the word of the Lord that stirs up our faith. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want your faith to be stirred. I want hope to be activated today. That's my goal. But when you hear that word, when you have that hope stirred in you, and you actually think, well, I'm going to trust God or I'm going to believe in God, the serpent immediately comes to challenge the word that God said. I'm just going to give you a heads up and let you know it's going to happen. It might not even be before you get out of this room that Satan is challenging the words of God in your mind. And you have an opportunity Am I going to believe Satan? Am I going to listen to the serpent? Or am I going to make the decision to trust God regardless of what others may say, regardless of how I may feel, regardless of how things may look and 
that moment. Hello, somebody. You've got to make that decision because Satan comes immediately. He's after that word because he doesn't want you having hope. He doesn't want you trusting in God. So let's keep on reading. Verse 2. The woman, the woman said to, serpent, to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Don't touch it. Don't eat it because you'll die. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He immediately comes and defies the words of God. For the very first time, the human race is experiencing conflict, is experiencing a choice for the very first time. Whether I'm going to choose to trust God and what He said, or whether I'm going to trust in my own thoughts and my own reasoning, my own intellect. Am I going to rationale this thing in my mind because of a lie that I've bought into? Am I going to believe the words of the serpent because I think I know better than God? Because the serpent has convinced me that I do know better than God? You have to understand, the serpent is up to the same tricks he was always up to. You see, when, when Lucifer was an angel in heaven, the one thing that he tried to do was exalt himself above God. And now he's trying to get you to do the very same thing. Exalt your thinking, your rationale above God's thinking. Because if I think I know better than God and I don't trust in Him, then I'm doing the exact same thing that He did. And He's trying to get me to buy into that same lie. And He's trying to get me convinced that my rationale is higher than God's ways of thinking. And I need to trust in myself and I cannot trust in God. Doesn't that just blow you away? Think about this. You're sitting in the Garden of Eden, naming animals naked. It's awesome, having a great time. You're not ashamed that you're naked? <laughs> because believe me. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> sitting in the Garden of Eden, I mean, everything's fresh and new. I mean, the flowers are as fresh as they've ever been. The fruit's as fresh as it's ever been. The, the, the animals are, are perfect. There's no death and sickness. You're looking around, and, and, and now here comes a serpent. When you're looking at all of this perfection, he's going to tell you, hey, you know better than God. Because you see, Satan can't do it for you. you. You need to stop blaming the devil. Look at somebody and say, stop blaming the devil. You need to stop blaming the devil because, you see, yes, the enemy, it does come steal, kill, and destroy. But what you and I need to understand is that he only has as much power as we give him when we believe the lie. So you and I need to stop giving power to those negative words and those negative voices that the enemy would want to plant, those negative seeds that he would want to plant, or those things that are buried in our heart that haven't been dealt with. And then he wants to dig them back up and go, oh, look, you haven't dealt with this. Oh, remember what they said? Remember what happened here? And he's got his little shovel and he's just digging. And he brings back up those things. You can't give him power when he speaks. He said, you'll not die. Verse 5, God knows it. That in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And see, you'll actually be like God. You'll know good and evil. See, this isn't a, a bad thing. I mean, come on. And so the devil paints this picture for the man and the woman that somehow God is holding something back that's really cool. And he's holding them back from it. Oh, I'm telling you, God is not really playing fair. He's actually keeping you from something that's really awesome because he knows that if you eat of this, then you're going to be made like him. So let's look and see what happens as Adam and Eve are processing conflict. 
Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So it wasn't like he was like all the way across, you know, the field or something. She goes, hey, Adam, come try this apple. He was right there. The Bible says he was right there. He knew what was going on, and he didn't step in and intervene. But you see what the Bible says here in verse 6? What did Eve see? You see, she began to desire something. She, said, she saw that this was pleasant to my eyes. That was good for food. When those are the very same things that God had already created for us. That he said, when I created all this stuff and said it was good, I made it in a way that it would be good for food, that it would be pleasant for you, that you would desire it. And I created you and wired you to desire it. But now all of a sudden, something begins to shift in the man and the woman. And then they begin to desire something that is not God's desire for them. She saw it was good for food, pleasant to make one wise, and then they both ate. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me. She's the one who gave me of the tree and I ate. Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, the very first thing that happens as soon as man sins, as soon as he falls... He tries to somehow develop a covering for himself. He somehow knows that this is not right. And for the first time, he's processing the emotion of, of guilt and shame. And he doesn't know how to deal with it. The only way he knows how to handle it is go and cover himself. And so he goes and, and he and his wife, they sew together fig leaves. How they learn to sew, I don't know. But they knew somehow that they had to hide and cover themselves. They knew that somehow this was not right and they were ashamed. And they were hiding. And they were afraid. And folks, let me tell you, that's exactly the same thing that the enemy does when you and I buy into the lie to trust him and to trust in ourselves and to buy into the lie that we know better than God. Is that when this thing doesn't work out, we try to go hide our, we, we go try to hide our shame. Because we're afraid, because we're scared, because we realize, oh my goodness, I can't do this. And we try to hide our shame, hide our weaknesses, try to hide the fact that we've sinned. And we try to hide behind our own smiles or our own way to show everyone that our lives are perfect or somehow so put together. And it's this false thing that we're hiding behind. Well, I try to hide behind our spirituality and our religion. Oh, we can say all the right things and do all the right things, but we're hiding behind fig leaves. We're hiding behind something that we're trying to create to show everyone that we're not really naked, that we're not really people that are full of shame or, or guilty or, or broken, but yet at the same time, we want everyone to see that everything's just right. And then we want to blame someone else for why things are the way they are. It's the same thing that was happening in the Garden of Eden, the same thing that people try to do today, try to hide behind my religion. 
Try to hide behind my good works. Try to hide behind the fact that, that, that I, I blew it. And then I want to blame somebody else for the reason that things are the way they are. Oh, it was the woman. Oh, it was my wife. Oh, it was my husband. Oh, it was my servant. Oh, if my kids. Oh, if my job. Oh, if this. Oh, if I wouldn't have made this decision or that decision. And we want to try to hide behind all of our excuses and all of our good deeds and all of our religiosity, if that's even a word. Not sure. <laughs> but we try to hide behind those things to somehow protect us and give us a sense of some type of security that we can somehow earn God's love or be good enough for Him, or that we can hide all of our guilt and all of our shame. <coughs> Man was confronted with his sin. He begins to bring someone else in and blame them for their lack of trust. Now, because of their choice not to trust in God's Word that would lead to life, a curse now is going to fall upon the serpent, a curse is going to fall upon the woman and on the man. Now, the perfection of God's creation has been altered by a choice to trust in the words of the serpent rather than to trust in the words of God. It was Adam and his wife's way of saying, you know what, I'm relying on myself. But the problem with self-reliance is that it gives no hope. You see, there's no hope when I rely on myself because guess what? As far as I can go in life, my best, that's as good as it's going to get. My best is as good as it's going to get. So I have to look to myself as a source of hope. And there's no hope in self-reliance. There's no hope in sewing together fig leaves. There's no hope in hiding in the bushes. There's no hope in that. Because I think that somehow I can, I can make something that will cover me. Because guess what? The first Wisconsin snowstorm, those fig leaves aren't going to work out so well. <laughs> Could you imagine your neighbor, well, let's not go there, <laughs> snow plowing out in the fig leaves? Because it wouldn't have been you, because you're a little sharper than that. But man, let me tell you, those fig leaves wouldn't work. Those fig leaves wouldn't be adequate. But it's all they could come up with. It was the best that they could do. But their best wasn't good enough. And folks, let me tell you, we're going to spin and spin and spin looking for hope in ourselves, looking for hope in other people. And we're never going to find it because there's no hope in ourselves. There's only hope and trust in God. That's the only place we can truly find hope. Because He's the only one that can bring forgiveness. He's the only one that can make all things new. Amen? And because of that, He's the one that I put my hope in. He's the one that I can trust in. He's the one that I can put my hope and my faith and my trust in. The serpent's still whispering in man's ear today, trying to get him to reject God and to trust in ourselves. He'll say, oh, you don't, you don't need church. You don't need those church folks. You can beat that habit on your own without God. You don't really need to, to tell anybody. You don't, you don't need any help. What has God really done for you anyways? Wouldn't it be easier if you didn't have all of this baggage. And you begin to think, maybe I know better than God. One day, all those people, they're going to understand that, you know, you really deserve to be happy. They'll see it one day. And, and you hope that one day that they have the strength to make the types of decisions that you made. You got people abandoning their families. You got people abandoning their responsibilities. Abandoning the things that they've committed to. You've got people throwing their hands up in the air and giving up and turning to drugs and alcohol as a solution. People turning to pornography looking for a sense of belonging or a way to cope 
or thinking, I deserve this. People lying, creating this false sense of that they're someone that they're not. People living a lie. People having to justify the way that they feel, the way that they do, and the way they live their lives. And they'll put other people down or gossip behind other people's backs that they'll smile to in their face. Backstabbing all these things. We're making decisions to rely on ourselves and trust that we know better than God because look, in, in, in all reality, we're looking for something. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for some sense of, of self-righteousness. That's why we put other people down because we're wanting to boast ourselves up and make ourselves feel better. And so we feel better as long as we're not like, oh, so-and-so because, you know, let me tell you something about them. You see, we're really looking for hope. We're really looking for a place to belong. That's all we're looking for. And we're trying to find it in things, trying to find it in other people, trying to find it in jobs and positions. And folks, let me tell you, there is no hope in self-reliance. Rejecting God's truth, rejecting godly counsel, ignoring your conscience, and what is right is us relying on ourselves. It leads down the same path every time. And that path is disconnected from God's best. That is a path that will disconnect us from God's best. Not because God doesn't want us to have His best or live in His best, but because we choose to trust in ourselves rather than trust in Him. Am I helping anybody today? You see, it's hope that is kindled when we trust in God. But this is our story. This is the story of humanity. And this cycle has been repeated for centuries and generations from the garden and generations on. Adam and his wife, they tried to hide their shame and the part that they played in the story. They were scared. They were ashamed. They thought that it was the end. But thank God that the story does not end there. Oh, somebody, I'm about to get my preach on. I said, thank God that the story does not end there. Amen, somebody. Amen. Let me tell you something this morning. You may be in a place that's very dark, relying on yourself, trusting in yourself. You may be in a place where you're not trusting in God in a certain area of your life. But let me tell you, where it's the darkest, there is always a light. There is always hope. There's a light that shines in the darkness. There is hope. And it's not in ourselves. It's not in our good works. It's not in man's wisdom. But it is in God. And if we'll trust in Him and truly put our faith in Him, then we'll begin to see that light. We'll begin to understand that there is a hope. I want you to see something. How God gave man hope in the garden. So man has sinned. God's kicked him out. He's about to list all of the things that are going to be a result of that choice that man made. This is what he said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you're going to go, you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. 
and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, the dust you shall return. And I want you to catch this verse. There's a lot of hope in this verse right here. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also Adam and his wife, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Oh, folks, let me tell you, there's so much just in those few verses right there that God is kindling hope. Because even though it looks like this is the end, we've been cast out of the garden, we've fallen, we've made these terrible decisions. I want you to look at God prophetically speaking and stirring up hope and giving Adam and his wife something to trust in and believe in that this is not the end. What was man formed out of? The dust of the ground. Man was formed out of the dust of the ground. I want you to check this out in verse 14 whenever God is cursing the serpent. He said, on your belly you shall go, and what are you going to eat? You're going to eat dust all the days of your life. He's telling the serpent, he's saying, all the days of your life, I'm going to remind you that I created this man. And then he also says the next thing, that there's going to be something that's going to happen. This woman's seed, this man, this seed is going to crush your head. He's going to destroy this work that you just did. And you're constantly going to be reminded of it every day until it happens. And then he speaks that through the woman's seed that there is going to come redemption. Because he is going to crush the work that you did here by getting them to believe in the lie. And all of a sudden something stirs up in Adam. All of a sudden faith begins to stir for the very first time in humanity where he begins to realize, wait a minute, I'm going to trust in the Word of God and I'm, I'm going to declare my faith and my trust in God because He's given me hope. After all these things are said and done, the woman who has not been named up until this time, Adam now in verse 20 says, I'm going to call my wife's name Eve because she's the mother of all living. He hadn't named her up until this point. What an awkward time to give your wife a name. <laughs> Here you are being kicked out of the garden. God's talking to the serpent. He's talking to your wife and he's talking to you. And all of a sudden you go, I think I'll call my wife Eve. What an awkward time to name her. But the reason that Adam decided to name his wife in that moment was because he heard God speak that this is not the end. It's not over through the seed of this woman. Adam never seen a baby born before. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All he has is to trust what God has said. He doesn't have 66 books to go back to and refer to. All he has is Genesis 1 to 3. That's all he's got. Think about it. You and I, the privilege we have to flip through all of these scriptures. Adam didn't have that luxury. All he had was Genesis 1 to 3 because he lived it. That's all he knew. And because that's all he knew, it was enough for him to know that if God said it, I can trust in it. He didn't have to hear about Noah and the ark. He didn't have to hear about David and Goliath. He didn't have to hear about how God rescued Paul. He didn't have to hear about all of the other stories that you and I have access to. All he knew is that God was good and that God was perfect and that he was worthy to be trusted. And because of that, he said, I'm going to name my wife Eve. Why is that so significant, Pastor? Because Eve's name literally is translated and it means life. 
because he was saying this is not the end. Death is not the end. Because you remember the word that was given in the day you eat of this, you're surely going to die. But I'm going to name my wife life because out of her seed, out of this seed is going to come restoration and redemption and hope. Out of this seed is going to come one that is going to bruise the head, that is going to destroy the work of the enemy, that is going to destroy the lie of the enemy. And he's going to come through this woman named life. You look at Abraham and Sarah when they considered their bodies dead and they said there's no way and it seemed like there was no hope and it was in the darkest hour. You see that God brought forth life. God brought forth hope. What did it take? What was the factor that changed the whole situation? The thing that changed was the fact that they made the decision to trust what God said. I'm going to change your name to Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Don't consider your own body dead. Don't you worry about that. You trust in me. I've got this. You see, folks, when we trust in God's word, when we trust in what he said, there is hope. There is a light that shines in the darkness. There is hope. You see, God gives that promise. He gives that word. He lets man know that there's another chance. Adam decides right then and there. He's going to reject the words of the serpent because now he has a choice again. And he's going to trust in the words of God. And then in verse 21, God does something so amazing. Here we are in our fig leaves that we've made for ourselves and we're trying to cover ourselves and hide our shame and hide our brokenness and and, and trying to look presentable because we're so ashamed and we're guilty. And God said, I'm going to take this animal uh, skin, and I'm going to cover you. God actually made the first set of clothes that worked. (laughs) And he clothed them. You see, man didn't have to clothe himself. God said, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to put these skins of these animals on you. And he did that after Adam named his wife Eve. He saw that Adam had made the decision to trust in the prophecy, trust in the words of God. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to name my wife's name Life. Eve, the mother of all the living. Life is going to come. This isn't the end. This isn't over. You're not going to write the the end on this chapter and close the book and say, oh, wasn't that a sad story? Isn't that horrible when you watch a movie and it has a sad ending? Who in their twisted mind makes movies with sad endings? You know, you read stories, you know, Shakespeare, you know, and all that stuff, the tragedies. You read about Romeo and Juliet and all that stuff. They both die. That's not a romantic story. That's a sad, stupid story. (laughs) And, And if you're a teacher in this room, don't make your students read that. That's a dumb story. It doesn't give hope. It's two people making stupid decisions, and then they both decide, oh, we're gonna die. And, and it's just so dumb. It's a tragedy. You read that book and you go, oh man, there's no hope. There's no hope. But let me tell you, when you read your story, when you read your life story, what God has for you, you may say, it's the end. It's a Romeo and Juliet deal. It's done. It's over. Finale, my story's been written. And I guess I'm just going to float through life and exist, always having to deal with this. Always having to deal with this pressure. Always having to deal with this pain. Always having to deal with this reminder of when I failed or what I could have, should have done. Instead, folks, let me tell you, we need to be reminded that there is 
hope, that it's not over, that this is not the end. You have not seen your best days yet. Your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. Hello, somebody. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how much stuff you've been through. Let me tell you, you can believe and trust God that your best days are still yet to come because there is hope. There's a light that shines in the darkness. When we trust in God's word, it gives us hope. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. There is hope. God would continually cover man as long as they walked and trusted him, put their faith in his words. As they trusted God, God was working through a beep. God was working through the seed of the woman Eve, the seed of life, to bring about the ultimate redemption of mankind. And I want to tell you that there's hope for you today. There's hope that when things look their darkest and dimmest, there is hope. Hope comes from trusting in God. And we trust in Him and He covers he protects. He guides. Even in our brokenness, even in our fear, we can trust that God is there. We can trust that our story is not over. Amen? Would you bow your heads this morning? God, I thank you for this group of people that have come today to sit under your teaching, to sit under your word, your truth. And God, I would ask you, that wherever they may be in their life, whatever struggle, whatever temptation, whatever obstacle that they may be facing, that you would just help them, Father. Help them to grab a hold, Father, of your hope, your light, your truth, to not trust in themselves, to not trust in their own good works, not trust in their fig leaves, not trust in their own covering, their own good works their own smiles that they may hide behind and their masquerade that they may put on. But Father, I pray that today that you stir up your people to trust in you, to trust in you beyond any other person, any other thing, and not to trust in ourselves, but to fully give ourselves and our trust to you and you alone. Maybe you're in here in this place today and you say, I need that hope. I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want to make that declaration today. Would you just let me know that you're here by lifting your hand and putting it back down? Anybody in this place, you can put your hands down. I see you. I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready to put my hope and my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. Church, would you help me out? Would you say this prayer with me today? And I want you to mean it from the very depths of your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of trusting in myself. Looking to myself for answers looking to myself for hope. I put my hope in Jesus. I declare He's my Lord. He's the leader of my life. He's my Savior. And that what He did on the cross was good enough to make me right with God, to redeem me, to buy me back, to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look up here if you said that prayer this morning? I want